This podcast is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Many of you have already used this code and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of comics from every publisher and time period, along with action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Before the rocket carrying Krypton's last hope, before the kindly couple, before the great metropolitan newspaper, there was the world that gave birth to the universe's greatest hero. Now, in Doomed Planet, we consider Krypton's history, legacy, and destruction, and the part of it that survived. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the new Krypton comic book storyline is the host of the Krypton Report podcast, returning guest, Tyler Patrick. Welcome back. Hey, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, you know, it's been really exciting to dive back into this story because when you had asked me, I said, yeah, I read some and I did, but I didn't read as much as I thought I had just because of how the story was broken up, um, and how the multi arcs are. So I had done most of the new Krypton, but not more of what we'll talk about. I too am very excited. This represents... What I would say is the last major gap in my modern era Superman reading. My Mm. new 52 reading is still a little spotty, but I've read enough where I feel relatively confident about that period. But from the burn reboot forward, this again represented the last major gap. And I can't tell you how much fun I had binging these issues So much so that I actually messaged you because I knew you were deep into the reading. And I was like, hey, I know we're not scheduled to do this for another week, but could we move it up? Because I was just so into it, had a great time binging. I've binged other reading projects, but more out of a lack of time than anything else. This Mm -hmm. was an instance where I was just so into it. So I was very happy that you were able to move up the recording and do this. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because I with you, like... You know, we only had so many issues that we were required to do. And I was like, just kept going because I told you, like, I'm invested, I'm interested. And um, there was a lot that I hadn't read in here that I've really enjoyed reading and getting. And yeah, it was very easy to read. So this is the comic book storyline from late 2008 through mid-2010. Now, we're not tackling the entirety of it in this episode. I split it in half. But but I say that just to say this was a massive, sprawling comic book storyline that fell during what to me is a very interesting period in the modern era of Superman comics because it's post-Infinite Crisis, but before the New 52. And... It's such a relatively short period of time. We're only talking about five years or so. And this storyline took up a sizable portion of this era of Superman. For anyone who's not familiar with this story, this is the storyline that brought back the one true Kandor. Kandor was discovered, rescued, and enlarged 
tensions mounted between the Kandorians and the humans, and the Kandorians formed their own planet on the other side of the sun, dubbed New Krypton. And at a certain point, Superman goes to live on New Krypton to sort of fight for the soul of his people. So it taps into, I think, a lot of very compelling themes. And what I enjoyed most about this, I enjoyed the return of the triangle numbering and some supporting cast members and dynamics that maybe we hadn't seen in a little while and that maybe we wouldn't see for a little while once we got into the New 52 era. But I think mostly what I liked was that the tension here, the central conflict was an ideological one about whether or not these two peoples, right, could coexist and what Superman's role would be. And I think one of the things that's been interesting for me over the course of doing these few episodes, last week we looked at the new Krypton arc from Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. And I kind of started changing my thinking a little bit because I've always been in the camp of, I like Kal-El to be, if not the sole survivor, one of just a few, right? I'm okay with, mm-hmm. with Zod and with, and with Kara Zor-El, but I don't necessarily love the idea of a hundred thousand Kryptonians out there in the form of Kandor. Or if we go back to pre-crisis, which we looked at a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, we had millions of Kandorians in the bottle city. But what I'm coming to find is that you can still show, and in fact, in an even more powerful way, show just how unique Superman is when you surround him with all of these other Kryptonians, because there's still only one Superman because of who he is on the inside. And so I think that is in full force in these stories. And I think that probably more than anything is what I what really resonated with me. I mean, you're absolutely correct because you think about it like Superman has his people, but he's still kind of alone at the same time. It's that kind of like, you know, he's not really being accepted by Kryptonians as being Kryptonian, even though he is. And his, we see another way of like, in a lot of the stories, how Krypton's perception of themselves and where they became as a race of people, how that brought about their their demise. And you see that now too, through these stories of just, what kind of society and culture they were slash are. Um, and is it really a culture that Superman is proud of? Like he, cause even in part of this is this, there's a great line in here between Superman and a character where she says that's Krypton, but he says, but this is new Krypton, you know, posing that we can make changes in the way society is now. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that was, I think, in the context of the labor guild demanding a seat on yes. the council. And I that, just didn't want to say too much till we got there. No, totally. Where what I when you started to say that, what came to my mind was an exchange that that Clark has with, I believe, Lois at the fortress, where he says, and I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, previously I only knew Krypton through these crystals, through the holograms, right? It was Krypton in the abstract, and now I'm um, in it with the people and seeing how messy and complicated it is. So, so yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's to sort of, to sort of bring what had been in the abstract for him into the present, into his reality and actually have him reckon with this world that he otherwise wouldn't have known in this way. Really rich drama to explore. Now, look, let me, let me say at the outset, I did not read further than the assignment for this episode. So I haven't read the second half of the new Krypton arc, though I do know the broad strokes and I do know how it ends. And I am aware of what the general 
critique and complaints seem to be about the way this wraps up. Uh, but even knowing that, I still really had a great time with what we did read. And let me lay out for the audience what it is that we read. So I did not ask you to do this, but just for myself, for background reading, I reread The Ark's Last Son by Jeff Johns and Adam Kubert and Brainiac by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. I, I even reread The Coming of Atlas from the Superman title by James Robinson nice. and, and Renato Guedes. And then we get into uh, the reading that we did. And just going back to the app, the app has the entire saga broken up into four segments, New Krypton and World Without Superman, which is what we, we read for this episode. And then what we're going to cover next time is World Against Superman and Last Stand of New Krypton. So for anyone who kind of wants to read along with us, that's what we're following. And again, in terms of the two segments that we read for this episode, the issues are the World of New Krypton special, Superman 681 through 690 by James Robinson and Renato Guedes, which at a certain point comes to spotlight the character Monel. Action Comics 871 through 879, initially by Jeff Johns and Pete Woods. And then once we head into that World Without Superman segment, it's written by Greg Rucka with multiple artists. And at that point, it focuses on the duo of Nightwing and Flamebird. We also have Supergirl numbers 35 through 43 by Sterling Gates and Jamal Igle. And then World of New Krypton 1 through 5, co-written by Greg Rucka and James Robinson and drawn by Pete Woods. So just wanted to lay that out for everyone as far as what we cover. But I, you know, you and I have both said it, and I, I really, I really do stand by it. It's a brisk read. I mean, I got through this like so because I was looking at the app, looking at all the issues, and my guilt was mounting for asking you to read so much. It's <laughs> like, oh man. But they really, they really zipped by. And I read these. I was at my mother-in-law's for Thanksgiving. And so Thanksgiving Eve and then the night of Thanksgiving after, you know, everything was wrapped up and both nights, it's like everyone else in the house was asleep and I was there with my iPad and I was like, all right, like, let's start to dig into this. And it just zipped by. Yeah. I mean, I started thinking like, okay, I gotta get this going. You know, me and Anthony are going to do this. And I was like, it's going to be a lot. And then I was just like, wow, I'm flying through this. And I recently had reread the, uh, the last son and the Brainiac story while reviewing that with uh, Connor over on Last Sons of Krypton. So it was just a nice little continuation of where I've been reading. I got to tell you, man, I've, I've always, I've always been a little mixed on those two arcs in my prior readings, mostly because of, of this attempt to, to sort of bring the Christopher Reeve iteration, uh, both visually and in terms of characterization, and not not just the Superman character himself, but even the way in which Perry and Jimmy and, and other characters are depicted into the comics. And I've always bumped up against that a little bit, but I've made my peace with it. And I would say far and away, this is the most I've ever enjoyed those two arcs. I got a lot out of them. These were the arcs that, again, restored the one true versions of Kandor and Zod and Brainiac. And you really see now, especially in retrospect, how they set the stage and introduce some really, really key elements and dynamics that bear fruit in the new Krypton saga. Let me ask you this, because you and I have talked about the Triangle Era and you've been on here for episodes. And uh, I know you have your, your side podcast now that you're doing with the uh, Electric Mullet Superman, right? Yep. So in the Triangle Era, we got a different take on Kandor, right? Where it wasn't this Kryptonian city that had been bottled by Brainiac, but rather was this city in another dimension that was sort of represented in the form of this bottle, but really was 
existed in its own dimension and was comprised of representatives of all of these different races that the demon Tolos had assembled and he could possess them and pull them out of the bottle uh, at will. I'm just curious, generally speaking, what your take on that iteration of Candor is, because that's what we lived with. That's all we had for a good chunk of time. Well, I will say, I feel like that time in comics, they did cheat a lot with the pocket dimensions and it's this, but it's not really this. And like we recently did an issue of Superman with uh Superboy, and it was kind of and you're like, okay, you're you know, in pocket dimensions and you're cheating on things here. Um it was kind of weird because even though like I having like I don't know where, okay. First of all, I don't know where my knowledge of the bottle city of Candor came from, but I remember having it. Like in my Superman fandom, like it's not in the Christopher Reeve film. It's not in the Supergirl film. It's Argo City. And then I don't even think, is it, I don't even think it's really touched on in the animated series, is it? No. No. So I don't know where my knowledge of the bottle city of Kandar came from because I knew that in the, like it just didn't, that time period did not feel right and but at the same time we got here it was like okay this is how it's supposed to be so i don't know i just feel like you there's some things you can't have your cake and eat it too if you're going to say that he's the only kryptonian that's what you got to go with don't find these cheats that's where i've landed and, as well and and over these and, episodes I've, i keep coming back to this idea that there are certain concepts that I think just have proven themselves to be undeniable. And yes, you might have an editorial edict saying that Kal-El can be the only Kryptonian, but I think these ideas just can't be suppressed. And so they manifest in these other arguably lesser ways, though still have their creativity, right? There's something to that idea of that triangle era candor, but reading or rereading Last Sun and Brainiac and meeting the real quote unquote Zod, Nan and Ursa, their son, Lorzod, who Lois and Clark temporarily adopt as Chris Kent. And of course, he comes back in the new Krypton saga, aged up as Nightwing. Yes. Can I just say that I'm glad they named him Chris? Because I'm going to point something out in this reading that really annoys me. Oh, is, it the, is a, it the identity that Monel adopts? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is, Anthony. Because <laughs> it's it's like you, you can only allow so many names to be something like. You know, it's my, it's why there's Jonathan Kent and then there's John Kent. Like, I don't like when superheroes are like, I'm going to name my child after my dead parent. You know, like Nora, Alan, the daughter. It's like, come on, man. There's more names out there. Okay. It's just no. one of my pet peeves, but yes. No, I hear um, you. But, but yeah, that last son arc, just by way of quick, quick background and recap for our audience, if anyone's not familiar or hasn't read in a while, but that last son arc, uh, again, brings forth this Kryptonian child who we come to learn later is Lorzod, child of Zod and Ursa, born in the Phantom Zone within Fort Roz, which ends up there through a Phantom Zone projector malfunction and its actual once you're inside, you can have physical corporeal form, right? And, and age and bear children and, and whatnot. And it turns out that Lorzod is 
is sent forth to sort of be this tether and allow Zod and Nan and Ursa and the other Phantom Zone criminals to escape and attack Earth. And Superman ends up temporarily stranded in the Phantom Zone where he reconnects with Mon-El. That was when I read this for the first time back in 2007. I think I'm almost certain that was the first exposure I ever had to Mon-El, this Daxamite named Lar- Largan, right, who had visited Earth and lost his memory. And both he and Clark thought that he was Kryptonian and they were going to test it out with Kryptonite. And when Clark takes out the lead box, that's what causes this character who has been dubbed Monel because he's forgotten his name and he looks at the calendar and he sees M-O-N for Monday and they think he's an L, so he becomes Monel and he doubles over in pain yep. and realizes and remembers, right, that he's a Daxamite and, and lead is poisonous to him. And the only way to save him is to, is to put him in the phantom zone. So it's this, this tragic turn where in this ghost zone populated by the worst of the worst, there's this, this good pure soul who is just stuck there out of necessity because if he returns, right, he'll die instantly. But that was the first time I think I had ever encountered him. And I, I, at the time, I was just, I don't know that I was totally on board with it. In retrospect, though, now, I, after watching the Supergirl TV series, that really now has formed my basis, for better or worse, of who this character is. And so now I, I definitely gravitated more, I think, to Monel because now I feel like I have more of an attachment to the character. What about you? Um, He's one of those characters that I will honestly say that I don't really remember the first time I encountered him. It may have been something much, much later um, because I didn't even read that last son story until I got it in trade years later when I just was going to the library and grabbing trades um, so that I might not even come in contact with him till sometime because I remember when he showed up on the Supergirl show, you know, by that time I had a little bit more knowledge. My problem was his name because in the show, like his name is Mono. It made no sense like where he would get that or why he was that name. Like, you know, in the story, of course, there's a, you know, reason why he's given that name. So the fact that he doesn't have that name is annoying. Um, he should have, you know, adopted that later, but whatever. Um, but I will say Monel doesn't bother me as far as like, we're talking like in the context of this, where there's like all these Kryptonians and he's Daxamite because he is Daxamite. He has similar powers. But he's not the same. And I feel like that could have been used a little differently. But that was the one part of the story, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't as invested in. When we get in deeper Mon- into New Krypton, is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Was the Monel stuff. I was just like, meh. I hear you. It was the one it was the one book when I was going through it. I was like, oh, the one that I was really invested in was Supergirl. Yes. Yeah, that that was that was particularly strong. But but yeah, that last Sun arc, again, it 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 gives us those Phantom Zone criminals. It introduces Chris Ken, who of course will come back as Nightwing deeper into the new Krypton arc. And I think maybe most importantly, it I, I think it's an important building block, right? Because when all of these Kandorians emerge, in the very recent past, you had a group of Kryptonians from the Phantom Zone who had tried to take over the Earth. Right. So it adds fuel to the fire. And there's, I think there would be some distrust or at least some hesitation either way. But that recent experience definitely colors everything. And so from the 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 earth slash human response, right, of all of these Kryptonians now having powers and being on Earth, you know, it definitely raises some 
I think valid, you know, fears and, and concerns after what they had just gone through. So I feel like that was an important you know, building block to establish. And I don't know, I don't know offhand, like how, how far in advance they knew they were going to do this new Krypton arc. I don't know. Uh, because even in, even in that last sun arc, when Zod and Nan and Ursa go to the fortress and they activate the hologram and they ask Jor-El to recount the, the history of Krypton and, and of, of them in particular, uh, you know, he talks about the Phantom Zone and how the first person banished there was Jaxor, who had destroyed Krypton's moon, and with it, the lunar colony of Kandor. But then there's a line about the true fate of Kandor is, is, may still never be known, right? So I guess they were still planting the seeds, but that shifted because by the time we got to the Brainiac arc and, and Kara was explaining to Clark about what happened to Kandor, it no longer was that lunar colony. It had been on Krypton and either taken or, or disintegrated, right? So it seems like it was shifting a little bit maybe as they were sorting out their plans. I mean, just as much as we talked about where editorial maybe now nah, we're not going to bring it back then eventually they're like okay we'll bring it back yeah you know <laughs> it's also funny too and I, i'm sure this jumped out at you as well in recent years right we've had for a good few years now we had we we have had john kent the biological son of lois and clark so in last son it's Pretty firmly established, especially at the end by Jorel, that the two of them could not have a, a child together. But even putting that aside, Lois is very, very resistant to the idea of parenthood. And obviously she warms to to Lorzad, aka Chris Kent, as the story goes on. But it's just kind of interesting knowing now w- mm-hmm. where they've gone, right, as parents, uh, to kind of see this proto version of that, right? I do think it's very interesting. I do think not to get too much in the modern, but like I was not happy with Tom Taylor's recounting and retconning of John Kent's birth. Cause I thought that the way that they originally established it worked well and made sense. Um, I think that the story arc in new Krypton does a good job of showing that paternal father side that Clark has. That's almost, almost tragic with the thing of like the idea that he would never actually get to be a dad. Um, but I also think in this new Krypton arc, the Supergirl stuff is great because, you know, we're talking about the triangle air, how much that character has been retconned and twisted and remolded and shifted and identity. Like it's, it's in this book too, but like that's a character. that's just one of those that gets reconfigured by everybody to be something different. And it's really tragic the way that her character gets depicted, you know, like, and thinking about like, oh yeah, the nineties version was the matrix, you know, like, okay. Cause I, I, you know, I remember that as I'm reading this, like this is not too long after she had come back in the whole public enemy after public enemies and everything. And this is a big deal for her. Cause some, there's some stuff you just forget like Kandor, for example, that in the comics, it's gone. When you're so used to reading stuff like trades or just out of context, not keeping up with stuff, you know, you're, there's some things you just remember of always being part of the story. And then you're realizing, wait, this isn't actually part of the story right now. So getting, like you said, the true Zod, because you and I've talked, I've had an issue with Zod where Zod, they don't depict him always the same. He doesn't have a, a certain rule look that you say, oh, that's Zod. 
or even a symbol. You know, there's always something on Zod where it's different. So trying to really bring back the real Zod was a big deal. I know I'm all over the place. No, but that's the thing. I mean, we went through so many different post-crisis versions of Zod in the pocket universe and in that Joe Kelly arc, right, where he was that Russian cosmonaut child. And and then yet again in the For Tomorrow storyline by Brian Azzarello and Jim Lee were another dimension. So no, it definitely felt it felt right. I think at a certain point, reading reading those those couple of arcs where you get the kind of the classic depictions of those characters and concepts brought back. And going back to what I was saying at the beginning, that to me is what makes this post-crisis, pre-New 52 era so interesting. And we kind of came at this from a different angle a while back when we did our Lex Luthor event. And we did an episode that was mm. all about the modern era when those pre-crisis aspects came back, where you had the businessman Lex who would become president and then he jumps in the green war suit, right? So you had kind of this, this amalgam and I feel like that's what you see here. And I, I, I do kind of dig it because it retains like this stretch and this saga in particular, I feel like it retains enough of those familiar aspects from the triangle era that are near and dear to me. While mm -hmm. again, bringing back arguably better versions of concepts that, we had seen over the years. And so I feel like it's, it's an interesting blend side note though. I do also want to say going back to, to the version of Cantor that you and I knew uh, from the late triangle era, I was curious. I was like, what the hell ever happened to that? <laughs> right. Did they just drop it? And I was doing a little research. Now I've not read this full arc, but the third Kryptonian, which was a storyline Kurt Busiek wrote in the Superman title. Did you read that? Mm -mm. Okay. I think so. So, my knowledge of it is very perfunctory, but what I do know, because I, I skimmed through it, is that the villain of that piece destroys that bottle containing that version of Kandor, but the implication is not necessarily that it's destroyed and its inhabitants are killed. Superman theorizes that because it exists in its own dimension, that perhaps it just landed elsewhere or its inhabitants were redistributed or whatnot. It's not, it doesn't have the air of tragedy, like oh my God, they were all killed like in the Bendis run with Rogelzar and Kandor and all that. I was, I was just thinking about that. Yeah, so the, the, so the, the Triangle Era version of Kandor, where it's not a Kryptonian city, but it has inhabitants from all these different alien races, uh, the bottle was destroyed in that third Kryptonian arc, but potentially its inhabitants survived. And to my knowledge, I don't think it's ever been dealt with further, but at least it was, at least in a post- infinite crisis landscape at least it was acknowledged because it was a part of the books not a huge part but a part for for a time you know and hmm. the basis the setting for the 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 godfall storyline as well so you know it had its place and i'm glad at least it was i'm glad at least it was acknowledged and i just wanted to mention that because that came up a couple of weeks ago when we talked about pre-crisis candor and i mentioned uh to rich when we did that episode i was like, yeah, you know we had this whole other version in the 90s and uh yeah at least it was dealt with to some extent but but we get the true Kandor in that Brainiac arc, and, and along with it, we get Jeff Johns working his magic, revealing that all of the previous versions of Brainiac that we had met post-crisis, including Milton Fine, right, uh, that these were all just probes of Brainiac, his nanites infecting or creating various forms, but no one had ever met. We had not yet met the one true Brainiac who was out there on his ship, right? And over the course of that arc, you get more of that 
of that Kryptonian history. And it opens with a flashback to the day that Brainiac took the city, right? And you see it's it's Zod's greatest failure. And that puts a whole other spin on all of this business as well, where they share this common enemy and you see how much it weighs on him. And I like that angle of it as well. I like that angle a lot. I like the fact that that's kind of the tipping point that starts to push Zod for his coup was just his failure in Candor, Brainiac, and it's a it puts Zod in that that point of I understand the villain, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And what I think with with that Brainiac arc, what I found interesting, there this aspect of it I go back and forth on is that there's this notion that after Brainiac takes a city, he sets events in motion to destroy that planet so that he retains all that's left of it, right? Which definitely tracks with Brainiac's whole, whole MO. And I don't know if this, if we're given a firm answer in the second half of New Krypton, you could tell me or I'll find out when I do my reading. At this point, in terms of what we've read so far for this episode, it's left ambiguous, but there is a specific moment where, because, you know, we see Brainiac firing something into the you know, Krypton sun and attempts to do the same thing uh, to Earth. And and Superman says to him at one point, he's like, what like what did you do to Krypton's sun? And we're not given an answer. What What is your interpretation or your feeling about this notion that he specifically precipitated the planet's destruction? I've always kind of liked that. And I think part of it's because I had such a foundation with the animated series as a kid. And that's really where I latched on to Brainiac was the animated series. And in that, you know, he's a Kryptonian creation. He abandons Krypton. And when he does, you know, the planet, you know, destroys. And I think it comes down to, do you like the idea that Krypton created its own destruction, that they're responsible for their own demise through their own hubris, or was it something outside? Both have their merits, but I think in the long run, I think the Brainiac thing, I think it works a lot better because it's true to the Brainiac character. It's true to what we've seen in other places, and it builds just a an innate, you know, battle between Superman and Brainiac that he's the one that's put forth the, you know, put the gears in motion to destroy Krypton. I think, I think it works because it is kind of his MO. It's, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's no wonderful Rogels are, I mean, gosh, <laughs> that's just, that's masterclass right there. Uh, yeah. Generally speaking, and I, I have been very clear about this in past episodes. I, my, my preferred iteration is that Krypton dies of natural causes. I'm okay with something like what we get here where it, it, there is there is some room for interpretation. There is a little bit of ambiguity. I don't mind something like the Krypton television series, the late great Krypton that you and I talked about. <laughs> uh, we discussed season two. But you know, there the idea was that the removal of Kandor destabilized the planet's core and in time that destroyed the planet. Uh, I'm kind of like, that's yeah. my happy medium right there. Like, yeah, Brainiac was responsible, but not directly like it was because of brainiac that it eventually happened but it wasn't like him exactly so yeah i think something like that it totally works for me or something like the animated series where it's like he knows that the planet is going to be destroyed and like suppresses that information um, i mean i guess in fairness it's like even if there is a culprit 
responsible for the planet's destruction. The, the, the people are ultimately to blame for not heeding Jor-El's warnings, <laughs> right? So there, there is that. But no, like what Bendis said, like I, I've never been on board with that and, and I don't think I ever would be. What we get here, I'm a little bit mixed on, but it's it's intriguing and, and, and I get it. And again, it certainly fits in with, with this whole idea of, of Brainiac. And yeah, we get the true Kandor. And of course, over the course of that Brainiac storyline, Brainiac shrinks Metropolis. And at the climax of the story, Superman is able to remove both of those. Uh, what's so funny here is we we just looked at all of these pre-crisis Kandor stories, right? And for decades, <laughs> Superman is unable to restore <laughs> the bottle city to its size. Right. In the Brainiac story, it's like once they're off the ship, Brainiac even says to him, like, the bottles won't hold. And like, all he has to do is find and open his space for them. And they enlarge, which I'm glad for, right? Because you had an yeah. entire era of comics where he's like, oh, I don't know what to do. I can't get them out of this bottle. Uh, so I like the idea that you didn't, we didn't kind of uh, mess around with that bit of business that it was just like, okay, now we're just going to show you the payoff. Like this is what happens when the city is enlarged. And of course, and I don't think, you know, I'm, I'm ruining, ruining anything. This was a well-known moment at the time, but at the end of the Brainiac storyline, it's this really kind of heartbreaking juxtaposition of Jonathan Kent suffering a fatal heart attack at the exact moment that Clark is enlarging the bottle city of Kandor. So he is losing this massive piece of his human side, just as this huge piece of his Kryptonian side is returned to him. Um, how then and now, cause I'm curious if your feelings have shifted at all, but I mean, how, how do you feel about that ending of the Brainiac storyline, which launches us right into new Krypton? <sighs> Man, the, the death of Jonathan Kent in that story it gets me every time. Um, part of it was because uh, Father's Day 2022, um, my wife took my son out and they went to the comic book store to try to find me something. And he said, get that one. I know daddy doesn't have that one. And it was the Brainiac trade with that ends with the death of Jonathan Kent. So like he got me that for Father's Day and... It was, you know, <laughs> touching. So I, I think it's so powerfully moving on how that happens. And like you said, it's kind of the inciting incident that gives Clark another step to, to embrace his Kryptonian side to almost find as a way of dealing with the loss of his Earth father. Like something exciting, new that ties him back to try to get over what he's lost. Aw oh Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, a.k.a. my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have kids and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me now. Aw Yeah. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. With more than 40 years and a new second location to its name, Acme is a multiple-time Eisner Award nominee. The shop features a significant contemporary and vintage selection as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. 
Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. We reference the television series Smallville a lot around here, and there's one Smallville rewatch podcast that's always at the top of my queue. Always hold on to Smallville, hosted by our pal, Zach Moore. Zach and his guests bring tremendous insight, passion, and humor as they discuss each and every episode of the series that ushered in the renaissance of superhero TV. Listen to Always Hold On to Smallville wherever you get podcasts, and keep an eye out for the other shows under the Always Hold On to banner, including Arrow, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Superman and Lois, and Star Wars. Yeah, look, I mean, you know I've talked about this a lot. I my sweet spot is the version of the story where the Kents are alive and, and he can go to them for uh, emotional support. At the same time, I think, and my feelings on this story have shifted a bit. I think I was a bit hard on, on this choice by Jeff Johns in the past. And I've, I've softened my stance. Jeff Johns on loves killing parents. Yeah. Loved but it. you know what? I, I think, I think one of the things too, that shifted my perspective a little bit was Superman and Lois, right? Where that show began. Yes. Jonathan Kent has suffered a heart attack when Clark was young, but, but that show starts with, with Martha in the present passing away. And that precipitates the Kent family moving back to the farm. And it's one of those things where sadly, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a reality. It's a, it's a part of life where that time will come. And, and so I think, Maybe my objection comes more as part of the origin story. Not that I can't see its value in certain in certain tellings, but uh, I think maybe with something like Superman, Lois, and and this Brainiac storyline, it's it's something a little bit. It's a different spin, right? Because it comes at a different yeah. point in his journey, and so it, it creates new territory to explore. And so I'm a little bit more open to it. And and again, specifically for this, and man, one of the early moments in New Krypton, it broke my heart when Clark goes to Kandor. And he, we have this, this L family reunion with Zor-El, Elora, Kara, and, and, and Kal-El, and they're going to have dinner together. And they're like, it's our first family meal together. And cut to Martha eating alone on the farm as it's pouring rain outside. Like it breaks your heart. Yes. I mean, you're, everything you said about, we've talked over and over about, you know, the issues with the death of Jonathan Kent being that inciting incident to make him be Superman or whatever that does. But the idea that he's been Superman and this is just a part of life that you're, that we all face that point where we realize we're stepping into the roles of the parent and our kids are now growing up and that this is the cycle of things. And it's just something he's going to have to deal with at some point. And this is when it happens. And like you said, that juxtaposition between Martha alone, probably for the first time in how long, and Clark now embracing this new family, and he's not doing anything wrong. But there's there's no like wrong to be had. Like he's neglecting his mom, but that's just part of what life is. Yeah, you know, he is kind of it's you know the the choice is like you know we just had a holiday Thanksgiving. Um, we're both married and trying to appease both sides of the family doesn't always work out. Eventually you have to choose. We're going to spend this holiday with this side. Maybe you switch every year or whatever because you can't make everyone happy. 
No, it's very true. As heartbreaking though as that scene was, oh, did my heart soar later when Clark sent crypto to keep Martha <laughs> company? Oh, that was oh, man. I smi- I smiled so big just because, you know, we our dog like is we have a dog we name him he is named crypto. So anytime crypto shows up, it's like crypto. Yes. So when we get to sort of the second half of of this entire or the second quarter, I suppose, of this entire saga, the world without Superman. That's the point where the Kandorians have formed their own planet and he goes to live there to keep an eye on Zod and, and to sort of, again, fight for the soul of the people. And it's at that point that the books kind of go their own ways a little bit. And again, you have yeah. Superman focusing on Monel and action focusing on Nightwing and Flamebird. So, of course, Supergirl's story continues. And then we follow Clark really just in that world of New Krypton series. But the first leg of this, the New Krypton part, this shows us, again, the initial enlarging of, of Kandor and and these initial interactions, right, between Clark and his fellow Kryptonians and between the Kryptonians and humans. And I thought it was just interesting to see how, you know, how all of this played out and how it's not like the, the Kandorians are... are evil from the jump or anything like that. But the tension, you see the tension almost immediately, right? When Clark goes to talk to Zorel and Alora about learning, you know, from the humans. And they're basically like, why would we want to do that? Like, why would we want to be any less Kryptonian, you know? And that goes back to like that idea of like the hubris, you know, that I think, I think needs to be baked into the Kryptonian lore because I think it helps show why they wouldn't believe Jarrell as an underlining, like there was an error to them, like, no, not us. Um, but it also helps show the difference of who Superman is. And the one of the biggest things I love about the character is the humility that he shows. You know, and he's trying to talk about the learning from different society that the let's learn from the humans. And they're and I think back like, okay. This is technically connected to, you know, continuing the John Byrne. And when they talk about sending Clark to Earth and how just Lara responds like, oh, they bear their flesh to the sun to, you know, like this. How dare they? These beastly creatures. Um, it just shows you where they are. And it's scary. Because now you have these people who are seeing themselves. And you can also understand, too, where Zod gets his sense of, I must rule. Because it's baked into everyone else of this. We are Kryptonian. We are better. Yeah. And, you know, this kind of ties back to what you were saying before when we were talking about the planet's destruction. I really, I like, I like this take where Zod attempted a coup and and killed members of the council but it wasn't just to rule the planet it was because he believed Jorel right and was trying to get the power needed to enact Jorel's plan to save everybody right so it's like they were aligned in that but obviously differed on their methods but uh, I, I like that as opposed to him just wanting to just be in charge yeah. for the sake of it yeah it it also it allows you to have a story with Zod to where when he does come into play here on New Krypton, it's not automatically like, doesn't remember this guy was a criminal. Like, yeah, because they don't, you know, they don't know the criminal Zod, but then when you find out, you know, why he was a criminal, 
it bears more understanding. Yeah, I love there's there's so much great Zod stuff and and with him and Clark, I, I, there's so much that's really interesting here. Uh, but one big picture item that I want to make sure we we talk about is just the 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 visual representation and the description of the society of Krypton that we see represented by Kandor here. Um, especially having just rewatched and discussed the Krypton television series and all this business of the different guilds and whatnot. Uh, a lot, some of this we get early on in the story. I feel like we get more fleshed out once we get into that world of new Krypton series and Clark is actually living there and becomes a member of the military guild and all of that. But so this is kind of something that's seeded throughout, but, uh, I guess just generally speaking, what was your take on, on what we saw of Kryptonian society in terms of their garb and in terms of the guilds and and even this the tension between classes that that you know comes to bear as well. What I liked is they used the guilds to kind of tweak the different ways we've seen Krypton. So if I'm not mistaken, Zor-El was like an artist, but he was also part of the science guild. It was kind of this unique blending of two things and he was very much represented kind of in that um 70s silver age-ish krypton kryptonian style but then we see like different kryptonians flying from the different guilds and we see what we saw in man of steel and we see these different depictions of krypton so i thought that that worked like the idea and like you know, more of what was inspired to be the Sagittarii <laughs> was <laughs> what we saw here with the military guild, with, you know, what we would see Zod wearing um, and what Clark would wear as part of the military guild. So the, the different guilds really helped show the class society and how it was. And um, the, the uniqueness of like the labor guild I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it was, I I agree with you, man. Like it was so cool to see how all of these different visions and versions of Krypton were reflected and sort of, you know, incorporated right into the society. And I agree with you. It's like, yeah, to look at the, the science guild, right. And that reflects what we saw of the John Byrne Krypton. Yes. I mean, is it a, is it a retcon here and saying that that's just, that's just the, the science guild. Sure. But it works. Like it, I think it's, it's a great way. And we're also in a post infinite crisis landscape where we've had some continuity tweaks so we can go along with it, but it's not like they just, you know, they could have just wholly redesigned the look of the people and, and, the, and, and the city itself. And, and I feel like they did a nice job of really kind of weaving everything together. And I, I really just like that take that you get these different representations because of the different guilds, right? And that the, you know, the labor guild is, you know, sort of like the second class citizens. And, you know, we get into that more when we get to the World of New Krypton series where some of them, you know, take the leadership hostage and demand a seat on the council and, and all of that. But uh, it, again, very much like the Krypton TV series where you have the gilded and the rankless and and that that tension the between labor, the classes. The labor guild is basically the rankless. It's like they just decided to throw him a bone and be like, okay, you were, you are now gilded as the labor guild. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that's what I was thinking the whole time. Uh, we also, we didn't mention, but you know, I, I think both of us, the, the Supergirl uh, issues of this were definitely a bright spot. And you know, one, one of the, the major developments in this is that, is that now also, do you say in your head, do you say Kara or Kara? This comes up all the time. Man, I kind of go back and forth. 
I do because, you know, it was Kara, but it was Kara Inzi on the animated series. Because she was kind of Daxamite-ish. Um, once again, back to that, like, blended retcon story. But then, you know, Smallville, it's Kara. Kara. So when Supergirl came out and they were like, it's Kara, I was like, ooh, ooh. It took me some time. But now, after five seasons of Supergirl, and then, uh, you know, the uh, Flash TV movie and stuff, like, Kara kind of kind of gets there. But And on the animated stuff, it kind of goes back and forth. So when I'm reading it, I think sometimes it depends on whose voice I'm hearing. Like, you know, if it's like a, a Tim Daly, George Newbern kind of thing, it might be Kara. I feel like it's a little bit more authoritative. It might be a Kara. So, gotcha. In my in my head and my heart, it's it's always Kara Zorro. But I just bring this up in case anyone, particularly those who you know really were like diehard fans of of the show, the TV show. If you're like, it's Kara, it's like I get it. We'll we'll agree to disagree. But what what we find out, you know, Kara is reunited with her parents, Zorro and and Alora. And what we find out is that Brainiac had, they had used. Argo City had used Brainiac technology to create a dome and to survive the planet's destruction, right? Because Zor-El did listen to his brother that the planet was doomed. Uh, and then eventually Brainiac's ship discovered Argo City and assimilated it. And essentially anyone that was re- deemed redundant was eliminated and those that weren't were assimilated into the bottle city of Kandor. So that's how Zor-El and Alora and Thara Akvar and, you know, and, and some of these others were... Um, or no, she was already, I take that back. She was already in, in Kandor. Um, but that's how, you know, her parents at least ended up uh, in the Bottle City uh, right before Supergirl was sent to Earth and of course got stuck in suspended animation. And then Zorel and Alora, they've now taken the the position of leaders of of Kandor. What's your read on the two of them from the, from the jump here? Because it was very interesting. Okay, so I really feel that modern interpretations of the Supergirl story really pulls from this. Because what we see is we always see in the Jarrell and Lara relationship, Jarrell is very much in the front. And what we're seeing now on the Supergirl side is Alora is very much in the front and Zorel's pushed in the back. She's this more authoritarian. She's like the um the power behind. She's the she's the strong willed leader. Um, so I, I feel like in some ways it seems like she loved her husband, but she was always ready to take over when the time came. And that's what we get because Supergirl, much like Superman has a whole different error about how she's torn between the two worlds because she is closer to the Kryptonian side, but she's conflicted by the way her mother is behaving. So I think we see Alora is almost like her husband was her compass and kind of that balance to her. And without him, she becomes this uh, tyrant. I mean, pretty much. Yeah, it was definitely interesting to see the depiction. And I, I agree with you. I think it is I think it is very much that kind of flip on the typical, you know, Jor-El Lara dynamic. Um, and I guess I would say there are maybe three three sort of major beats that lead us to 
Kandor forming its own planet. So early on in this storyline, representatives from Kandor come to meet the president uh, of the United States in Metropolis and doomsday attacks, right? So Superman and Supergirl, wow. the other Kandorians must face off against doomsday. You know, go ahead. No, I was like, I was shaking my head. Like, how would you not want to put doomsday in a store with a bunch of Kryptonians? Yeah. And they, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that I had even read that far. Maybe I did. And I just forgot, but they, the Kandorians, beat doomsday to death i mean they really punch his head in it's it was it was particularly brutal i mean it's people with as much power as superman a lot of them not holding back yeah and your heart breaks you know if you kind of use the the krypton tv series as your head cannon poor dax poor dax in there you're like mm. finger up he's, on the window he's... toward to his wife i know <laughs> If I ever did it, something with Doomsday, like a, a comic or a, a show, whatever, as he would die, I would just have his hand go up like this and point a finger. <laughs> yes. Like this. That would be my call out. So you'd be like, one day Anthony's reading, like, oh my God, he did it. He did it. I know that. I know what he's doing. I'd be I'd be one of the few who would who would get the reference, but sadly, but I would get it and I would love it. And I would love it. But now, of course, Doomsday is set into motion by another major player in these proceedings we have not mentioned yet. The returned general Sam Lane. Yeah, I had forgotten. That is one thing I did forget was that at this time Lois thought her father was dead. It wasn't told through the reading because you know you read so many storylines over and over, things do get redundant. Like you know, Bendis did kind of a death of Sam Lane thing. Um. So yeah, at this time, as I was reading this, I had forgotten that she thought her dad was dead till later in the story. And then how she proves that her dad's alive is classic Lois Lane. It's, you know, it's so funny. So I think it's mostly through that first new Krypton special, because by the end of it, he stands revealed when he, when he quote unquote drafts Lex Luthor, right. To fight, you know, to, to help with this effort against the Kryptonians. And he stands revealed as Sam Lane, but throughout the issue, he's, you know, in the shadows and whatnot. And the first time I was reading this, uh, you know, a few nights ago, I was like, obviously it's Sam Lane. Like, why are they hiding the ball with this? Why is this supposed to be a big reveal? And then, you know, just like yourself, you know, we read all of these and we're reading them at different points. And I, I just, I had forgotten <laughs> that, yes, Sam Lane had met his end towards the end of Our Worlds at War, one of the major crossover storylines during my beloved Jeff Loeb, Joe Kelly era of the Superman books. He was in a tank. Uh, fighting off one of the Imperiex probes during our worlds at war. And he, he detonated, I believe it was like a nuclear bomb to keep the probe at bay uh, and to protect the president. And he pretty, pretty clearly, it seemed at the time, <laughs> had met his end. And then it turns out here, uh, he had not died at all, but had, had faked his death and had, had gone into hiding uh, and has been amassing assets and personnel and weaponry to to fight initially Superman, and then, of course, later this larger Kryptonian contingent. Now, I guess maybe I'll ask for a little a little spoiler here. Do we ever get, in the second half of New Krypton, a proper explanation for how he survived? Because thus far, not, he's just like, no, I, I was never dead, and that's it. <laughs> not where I'm at. All right. I'm not, I'm not that far into it. Cause I kinda, like I said, I got a few issues in, and then you were like, we just stop. So I stopped. 
I didn't want to spoil anything or say something too much. So, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for that. I, so, so my gut is maybe we're not going to get much of an explanation, but in any event, he's he's alive, and of course, there's a lot more business with Major Lucy Lane, which we'll get to. But I, I will say too, it's funny how all of these interpretations kind of interact with each other in our heads because I guess from the comics, I, you know, I kind of always always subscribe to kind of that you know, contentious relationship between Sam Lane and, you know, Clark slash Superman, not necessarily to this level where he's an all out villain, but at least some yeah. tension, but that's really been flipped on its head by grandpa Sam Lane on Superman. And yeah. Lois. <laughs> I mean, this is what happens when the grandchildren enter the picture. The parent all of a sudden becomes, you know, soft and loving again. Yeah, but so Sam Lane or, is here in the background, like pulling the strings throughout this storyline. He drafts Lex Luthor. He sends Doomsday. Uh, he, of course, is working with with Lucy Lane and in the guise of Superwoman, which we'll talk about. He's got codename Assassin. Yes. There's a lot, you know. There's a lot going going on. Uh, he's manipulating Atlas from the coming of Atlas storyline, and uh, that that plays out with John Henry Irons as well. So you know, he's the kind of the master puppeteer, you know, behind all of this. At least from is, the Earth side. Yeah, yeah, most, yeah. Which is, you know, he, um, he, I guess this is my spoiler where we're at, but like, it's because of him he manipulates the events that leads to the death of Zorel, which is what really takes, like we said, takes Alora to being, you know, more tyrannical than, um, so. Yeah, no, it's, so it's, uh, it's really interesting, I think, how this plays out because leading up to the 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 death of Zorel, which definitely is is a major turning point here, we get this really interesting bit where the Kandorians and and really spearheaded by Zorel and Alora, right, send the Kandorians to round up Superman's enemies like Toy Man and Parasite and Bizarro, right. And throw them in the Phantom Zone. And in the process of this, there are some of these Kandorians, in particular ones who had served under General Zod, who don't really have much regard for human life. And they kill the prison guards and the members of the science police who try to get in their way as they're apprehending, you know, one of the villains. And what we do later come to learn is that, and to your point, this is where you see a divide between Zorel and his wife, where Alora authorized them to use that kind of force if they felt that they needed to. So, you know, you really do see these dividing lines, but that's what sends an enraged Superman to Kandor, right? Like, what have you done? Like, what were you thinking? People died in the process. But the idea, obviously the, the killing of, of, you know, the, the guards and the police, right, went, went too far. But the idea of, hey, like, you have these enemies out there. They could very well be our enemies too, we have a means of getting them off the board in the Phantom Zone, like our method of punishment and imprisonment. It's kind of fascinating because it's like, yeah, I mean, from like that's one of those things from their perspective. Yeah, like I totally get yeah. it. Yeah, it's that cultural clash of this is how we would deal with criminals. They are a criminal to Krypton because they're a criminal of yours, and we're gonna take care of it. You know, and they look at it like we're doing you a favor. Yeah, it's well, it's funny when you say that about the cultural clash because there's there's a moment here where uh, Superman faces off with the other heroes of the DC universe outside of 
of Candor, right? Over this business of the humans who were killed. And Superman, right, he's really trying to keep the peace, right? And he he uses the word cultural confusion, essentially saying, like, well, this was a misunderstanding, right? And Hawkman, this is one of my favorite lines of the whole thing. Hawkman is like, listen, cultural confusion is not knowing that you're supposed to give a Japanese business person your card, right? Like you're supposed to exchange business cards, mm-hmm. not murder. Like, so <laughs> yeah. it was interesting where I think sometimes with Superman, right? It could be kind of like this fine line. Like he's so, he's so hopeful. He's so optimistic. He believes it gives people the benefit of the doubt, but where is the line right between that optimism and naivete? Right. And I feel like maybe yes. I feel like that, that moment where, where he chalked this up to cultural confusion that might've veered into maybe we're being a little naive here, Clark. I feel like that, that a lot of times comes from whoever the writer is. Um, because I feel like, yeah, I'm right there with you because sometimes you're just like, okay, like busting in the prison and taking them and putting them in the phantom zone. Okay. That's culture. Murder. Nope. Like that's problems. So yeah, I, I think it, it a lot of times depends on who's writing the character, how much they want to play into his naivete. And this was the, you know, this led to, I think, one of the really believable sources of tension here where Superman demands that Alora turns over the Kandorians who were responsible for these human deaths and she refuses. And he doesn't really have an answer. Like there's only so much he can do. He can't physically fight a hundred thousand Kryptonians, right? So it puts him... It puts him I mean, in an, it, well, he could, but, you know, like it puts him in a very, in a very difficult spot. And I, again, I think just from, from purposes of drama and tension, I, I enjoyed it because it's like, yeah, you can demand this. You can try to explain your perspective, explain why it was wrong to do this. But if they don't go along with what you're preaching, what, you know, what are you going to do? That's why I think when we get into deeper into the world of New Krypton, where Clark is living there and he's a member of the military guild and you see him sort of going about things in a different way, different than what uh, Zod, you know, in particular is directing him to do as as a commanding officer. Um, It's interesting, right? Because you get to see how uh, he's showing them, like he's literally showing them a different way of going about things. But at the outset of this story, we're not there yet. It's really just him kind of telling them, this is what we should do. This is the way it should be. So uh, I really liked it. And then yes, in the course of of these events, two of the the villains who are apprehended, Reactron and Metallo, uh, turn out to be you know sleeper agents, right? Sent there, and they attack. And Reactron is powered by Gold Kryptonite, which in this iteration can remove a Kryptonian's powers for fifteen seconds, not permanently. I like that. I like, I like that. Too. that. I, was, I was like, I was like, because I was like, dang, if he's going to be Gold Kryptonite, he's going to walk around New Krypton like, oh, <laughs> like I, all of a sudden everyone just falls from the sky, and it's like over. 15 seconds is perfect, I think, because it it allows you to, like, if it takes away your powers permanently, you can only real you, you, you can almost never use gold kryptonite. You can mostly just use the threat of it, right? But mm-hmm. if there's that time limit on it, it's like, oh, okay, like now you can actually use this. Uh, so the two of them attack and, and Reactron shoot blasts and kills Zor-El. And it's, my God, it's heartbreaking. Like the, the scene between Kara and Zor-El where they had just been reunited just been reunited and he's dying in her arms and he's like, I'm so glad I got to see you one more time. Uh, and she's distraught and it was just, it was, it was heartbreaking. It, it is. Um, 
you know, part of this story, it is as much her story as it is Superman's. Um, because she's going through a lot of the same things that he is, but from a different perspective. And, you know, Clark, for looking at this as a whole, Clark just lost his Earth father, who he knew as his father. And she just lost her father. Like, um, so. Oh, speaking of that, one of the early moments here, uh, this is going back to that scene I had mentioned before when, you know, Zorel and Allura are like, why would we want to learn more about Earthways? And, you know, uh, one of the Kandorians brings back a, a whale. They're like, oh, this creature attacked us. And Clark's like, it's a whale, you guys. But very early on, I love I love this moment so much where they first reunite and his aunt and uncle are like, oh, like what a great man you turned you turned into and he's like well it was easy i just followed my father's example and they're like oh yes it's great that you had the holograms of Jorel to guide you and he's just like you know he doesn't explain it to them but obviously we know what he's thinking mm-hmm. uh and i thought that was just such a great moment just to show where he is right and just how different the perspective uh is with all of this and and you know from the from the kandorian's perspective it's a tough it is tough. Like they don't have the frame of reference that he does. They didn't go through what he did and, and, and live on this planet. And, and so, and on top of that, right, they have so much trauma that they've been through. And I think it's the, it might be the refresh my memory, but it might be that action annual that gives us the origin of Nightwing and, and Flamebird. But it, yes, it, when it focuses on uh, Thara Akvar who becomes Flamebird and, like her nightmares and her difficulty sleeping. And it sort of talks about how, you know, all the Kandorians, like this is something that, that they deal with. And for those who are on Argo city in particular, it's like escaping their planet's destruction, then being abducted by Brainiac. It's just like compounded. So there's, there's a lot at play there. And, and so I definitely can, you know, kind of can appreciate both perspectives on it. And again, I think that's what makes it, uh, you know, that, that much richer, uh, you know, in terms of the story. Yeah, but the yeah the death of Zorel was uh, uh you know was, was a tough one for 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 Kara and I'll kind of follow her thread for a minute here because she is later tasked with uh going to Earth. This is after New Krypton has been established, but she's tasked with going to Earth uh and bringing Reactron to to justice. And you know this this brings her further into contact with the new character of Superwoman, who at the outset appears to be. Uh, fellow Kryptonian, right? Who is is mm-hmm. trying to befriend Kara? Uh, I mean, I guess I, I already had spoiled that. It, it we do find out later that it is Lucy Lane working under the orders of of General Sam Lane as as kind of this agent who's infiltrated. I guess what do you, I mean? Do you remember at the time if you predicted that it was Lucy? Like, do you remember to what extent you were surprised? No. No, like I okay. So rereading this, I knew that it was Lucy, but I had forgotten it. So, you know, the way they do it is, she has this suit that when she's wearing the suit, it gives all her all appearance of being Kryptonian. Um, and she's on New Krypton, and she's wearing the costume, and Kara, Kara tries to friend her. And build this relationship. And there's a lot going on. And I'm just thinking, who is this? Like, And that was probably the one side of the story that I was most compelled to. Because I felt like there's a lot going on here. And I'm like, who is this? And then as it goes on, you're like, okay, who is it? And is it a suit? Or is it somebody? 
because she's wearing the symbol. And that's a big thing is like the fact that she's wearing the super, the L family symbol. And then when you find out it's Lucy, I was like, dang. And then what happens between Kara and Lucy and then when Kara has to go and confront Lois, that's the hard part. And that's part of why I'm, I want to finish reading this arc is I want to see when Lois has to go and confront Sam. Yeah. I am Sam doesn't refer, to that. Cause he doesn't refer to Lucy as his daughter. He refers to her as his soldier. And you know, there's a time where they, she's fighting and he's like, ah, oh, she's a good soldier, blah, blah, blah. And then when she loses the Supergirl and she gets like evaporated. Yeah. And, cause Supergirl you know, realizes that there, she realizes that there's, something to do with the costume, right? That's, that's giving Superwoman her powers um, and attempts to destroy it, right? And, and, and tears it and rips it and all that. But it actually has the result of, uh, yeah, essentially like disintegrating <laughs> Lucy. Although we see in the annual that follows that she's kind of able to reform herself. So she's not out of the picture. But for a moment there, it seems as if Lucy has died as a direct result of Supergirl's actions in battle in destroying this containment suit that she's in. And yeah, I, to your point, I mean, like the scene where she and Lana, who has taken Kara under her wing and uh, has given her the 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 human guise of Linda Lang, her niece, which I really liked. I thought that was great. It gave Lana something. You know, Lana comes in as I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but Lana uh, loses her position as CEO of LexCorp because she attempts to help Superman. Uh, I think it's in the battle with Atlas, unless I'm conflating the stories here. Um, but she, she has to step down as CEO of LexCorp and she ends up taking a position as the business editor at the Daily Planet and she takes Kara under her wing who poses as Linda Lang, her niece. And yeah, anyway, that leads to the scene with Linda and Linda, Kara and, uh, and Lana and Lois where, where Kara has to explain to Lois what she's done, that Lucy was Superwoman and that now she seemingly died as a result of Kara's actions. And man, I, you know, I, I guess to an extent I get I get where Lois was coming from, but she just kind of shuts Kara out and tells her to leave and just, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I get it to an extent and clearly she's wrestling with a lot, but yeah, it's, I, I really felt for Kara in that moment there. I did too, because she acknowledges Lois as family because of her cousin. And she even says like, I've only met Lucy like a couple of times, um, but she knew who she was. And this is where Lois goes on her little quest and she finds out she goes to the grave of her father and finds out like she's looking at, she, um, you know, she's having the body examined and finds out from the dental knowledge that it's not Sam Lane because Sam Lane's missing or has some teeth, right? He had his wisdom teeth or yeah. He never had them removed or something like that. They said, so he had all of his teeth. And she's like, yeah, Sam Lane's not dead. I'm a proud backer of the Paragons of Earth crowdfunder. The creative team of Percival Constantine, Thomas DJ, and Eric Johns have plucked forgotten Golden Age superheroes from the public domain, reinvented them as their own sort of Justice League, and put them up against a Lovecraftian apocalypse. Support this project by going to crowdfunder.com, that's crowdfunder without an E, slash Paragons comic, and read a free sample. Also, Perry, who's been a guest on the show, hosts the Superhero Cinephiles podcast about superheroes in media. Be sure to listen wherever you get podcasts. 
Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On To Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and Round Reel in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Take it from an alum of two of them. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast Sam Lim. Sam is based in the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They're also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics to see their latest comic pickups and shop adventures. Now, what we haven't said yet, and it bears asking, and I guess we just chalk this up to a change to continuity as a result of Infinite Crisis, but what the hell happened to Lucy and Ron and their baby? Because when last we had seen them, <laughs> you know, Lucy and Ron were married and had a child. And in the Last Son arc, when Lois is talking about how being a mom is not for her, she says something to the effect of, that's that's for Lucy, not for me. And and I forget the exact wording, but it, it I, I think it more strongly implied, like, Lucy is the mom. Not just that, oh, Lucy would be the mom. Yeah, yeah. But like, that's Lucy's life. Uh, but by the time we get to this... And and I again, we're it's in that um, there's a Supergirl annual that gives us Lucy's backstory, and essentially you see she was always in Lois's shadow, right? That was kind mm. of the deal. like nothing she did was ever good enough compared to what Lois had done, and she was always kind of chasing after Lois and dating people in Lois's circle to be near her and all of that. And after Sam's apparent death, that's when she enlisted, and she was part of the Amazon's attack storyline, which I have never read, but that's referenced here. Uh, and after that event, that's when Sam reveals himself to her and puts her in the superwoman suit. And in all of that recounting of her history, there is no mention of, of Ron or a baby. So, I, I mean, I think maybe you can, maybe you can make an argument like it happened, but they've parted and it's just not being acknowledged. I don't think that's the case. I think the intention is that this has just not happened in this, in this new post-infinite crisis reality that we're in. What, what is your read on that? Hmm. Well, Let's say this, like we will say on several things. We don't know what happens in the rest of the storyline, if she returns or anything else pops up. But I think, yeah, it kind of is that gray of you can interpret that it happened and maybe she left to go join the military, kind of abandoning her father in a way of, or abandoning her family much in the way of her father, kind of following those footsteps as well as putting the career in the military first. Um, or you can just wait that like, yeah, it didn't really happen. It was kind of vague terminology that it never really was. Or I think there's a good story in there to write. It's it's one of these funny things where when we talked about the triangle era, we talked about how such a strength of that period of time was the supporting cast, but there did come a point where it did feel like Superman was getting a little bit lost in the shuffle of his own titles. And I think, you know, I not not to beat up on poor scorn, but you know, he was kind of <laughs> you know, kind of the representative of that. Jeez. It's all to say that it's not as if I look back and I'm like, oh yeah, the Ron and Lucy story was, you know, the, the most captivating thing in the world. But we were asked to invest in that and we follow that storyline for, for a period of time. And it was a, a you know, a fairly major subplot um, of the books for a period of time. And so, yeah, to kind of just kind of have that discarded. 
you know, I bump up against that a little bit, but yes, I'll definitely keep an eye out as I make my way through the second half to see if there's any sort of accounting of this or if it's just kind of, you know, we're left to assume that just didn't happen in this, in this timeline. As far as other callbacks though, I have to say, I was so pleased to see Bibbo Babowski mm. uh, attending bar at the Asa clubs and this to have him there. And also, and going back to the Jeff Loeb, Joe Kelly era, there's an issue here uh, written by James Robinson. It's an issue of Superman. It's, um, it's very shortly after the Kandorians form new Krypton and leave, but uh, it, it focuses on Parasite, right? And he gets a taste mm-hmm. of Monel's powers uh, when he's being uh, extracted from the Phantom Zone, right? Because the Kandorians put all these villains in the Phantom Zone, and now Superman is retrieving them. And uh, as Parasite is coming out, like he grabs Monel and he absorbs the power, he gets a taste of it. But he's on the streets of Metropolis, Parasite, uh, and he's talking about how he, uh, you know, he had absorbed energy from this guy. Uh, and I guess he has this guy's memories of, of the guy's girlfriend who was talented in the bedroom, so to speak. And Parasite mm. says something to the effect of like, oh, that would have come in handy back during that time when I posed as Lois Lane and captured the heart of Lex Luthor. And I just love that that Jeff Loeb, Joe Kelly era storyline was referenced where Parasite was posing as Lois Lane and they were having all of this marital strife and you didn't know what the hell was going on. And then Lois revealed herself to be Parasite. And I just think we always need to remember that Lex and Parasite banged or at least fooled around. <laughs> I just feel like that always needs to be acknowledged. And just as if you ever write a Superman story, Doomsday will be in it and he'll have his finger <laughs> finger pointing up to the sky. If I ever write anything, A, Superman's going into the heart of the sun, no doubt. Some way, <laughs> somehow, he's going into the sun. I don't care what what sort of uh, you know story machinations we have to go through to get there, but he's going to the sun and there will be some acknowledgement of the sexual history between Lex Luthor and Parasite because I just feel like it needs to be talked about more. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow it'll get retconned to where that, this paras- that Parasite was a woman. It was like R- Rudolfa <laughs> Jones or something. <laughs> like, um, but no, you want to talk about uh, interesting concepts that I didn't really think about that you were talking talking about banging um we know that the way kryptonians were conceived from stemming from man of steel and like you just said lord zod was conceived quote unquote naturally and birthed in the phantom zone so think about that for a minute just the fact that in a way lord zod could represent like the first Kryptonian to be born naturally compared to being born in some sort of matrix chamber. That is very true. Like yeah. I, I didn't think about it just, just like we said, because we're jumping around so much, you know, in our reading and acknowledge, but I thought since we were on the talk about, you know, superheroes banging, I thought I'd just throw that out there. No, for sure. For sure. But I guess to sort of wrap up the, you know, the first major leg of the storyline. Uh, and then again, the books kind of go in their own direction and we could probably jump around a little bit, a little bit quicker after this. But, you know, you have this major battle between Superman and the heroes and the Kryptonians and a lot of shifting alliances. I mean, there's one point where Superman's trying to get through to, a, you know, a, an enraged Allura and he grabs her wrists and poor Kara, right, who really has been at odds with her mother throughout all of this, but she sees Superman grabbing her mother's wrist and she's like, and she says it so quietly. It's like, she's so resigned, but she's just like, don't touch my mother. And she, and she socks him. Right. So there are a lot of kind of forces converging at this point. And it leads to 
uh, Alora and the Kandorians utilizing the Brainiac technology that they can to, uh, again, kind of raise Kandor from the planet and form their own planet, right, on the opposite side of the sun. And that becomes New Krypton. And initially she does tell Kal-El, like, he's not welcome there. Uh, the next time when he shows up, she's kind of softened her stance <laughs> a bit. But, uh, you know, that leads to the creation of of this planet. Um, and shortly thereafter, she releases Zod and Nan and Ursa from the Phantom Zone and entrusts the military guild to Zod. And S Superman, on one of his visits there, you know, discovers this, sees that they're throwing Zod a parade, right? And it's going back to what we were saying before about their plan to, you know, round up Superman's villains and throw them in the Phantom Zone. You know, Allura makes the point to Clark here. Uh, it's funny, I know as I'm talking about this, part of it is I want to vary my word choice. Part of it is, you know, Superman's place in all of this is always shifting. So I know sometimes I'm referring to him as Superman, sometimes as Clark, sometimes as Kal-El. But it's it's kind of, uh, you know, he's sorting that out for himself and all of this. But, she, you know, she explains to Superman, look, like, it's within my authority to pardon them, right? They've been in the Phantom Zone for X number of years. They've served their debt to society, right? Like, we need them now. So it's just kind of, again, another instance where you, you can see it from both perspectives. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> Zod is, in this context, Zod is fun because... To them, he's still their hero because of when they were taken. They have no history and knowledge of the events that happened afterwards or what Kal-El has said. Plus, they've already shown they don't care about Earth. So any actions or crimes that Zod committed on Earth towards Earth people, Alora doesn't care because she's letting people of her own do the exact same thing with killing the human life. So she has no compassion towards human life. So she doesn't care what Zod's done because to her, he's still... Kryptonian. Yeah. So, like you said, Superman, Clark, Kal-El, depending on where he is and who's he interacting with, his role is shifting. Um, not to mention that at this point in time, all Kryptonians are banished off Earth and are no longer welcome on Earth except for Superman. Yeah, they're all outlawed. Yeah, except for him. Yeah. So while while you have Superman, you know, only one allowed on Earth, but then Alora doesn't want him on New Krypton, but then does extend, you know, an olive branch to him. Yeah, but he would have to turn his back on Earth, and I think it's the not even just the release of Zod. I think it's the parade that really is the turning point for him, where he's like, I I got to do something here, right? Like this, we're going down a bad path. And I need to do something. And so he has, I, I like the way this was structured where he's essentially having the same conversation and we're cutting back and forth as he's talking to Lois and he's talking to Martha and he's like, I don't know what I, to do. Like, I think I need to go there. But if I do that, I'm going to have to seemingly renounce my ties to earth. But you know, that's not true, but it might come to feel that way. But he's like to Lois, you know, you're my love. And to Martha, he's like, you're my ma, right? He makes this point to them and uh, and, you know, both of them encourage him because he's like, I don't know what to do. And they're like, you do, you know what to do. And, you know, throughout many of these issues, we get a flashback as Clark remembers, you know, one of his final, or maybe I guess the final uh, conversation with Jonathan that comes in that Brainiac arc, right? Where he's deciding whether or not to go out into space and search for Brainiac and all of this. And he's in the barn with, with Pa and Pa's like, you know, you, your greatest power 
you know, isn't any of your, your, your abilities. It's, it's your, your ability to know the right thing to do. Like that's your greatest power, knowing what the right thing to do is. And he's like, if there's somebody out there that needs help, you do what you always do. You don't let anybody or, or anything get in your way. Right. And he keeps going back to that. And I think that memory and the conversations with Martha and, and Lois, uh, you know, encourage him to do that. And he, and he puts certain things into place, right? He entrusts the care of Metropolis to Monel, for example. And, um, that was one of the bits. I know we didn't we didn't hit this beat specifically, but um, the Phantom Zone is being destroyed. We don't know yet how or why, but there's very little Phantom Zone left, and Monel's choice is either get swallowed up by this Phantom Zone or come out and die on Earth, and he rather the latter. Um, but he comes out, and you know Clark's trying to find a way to to find him. He's trying to get through to the Legion of Superheroes in the future, but not connecting. But then he finds this potion or, or formula or whatnot in the fortress that's been left to him by the Legion in very mysterious circumstances. Um, but uh, Monel drinks it and it it seemingly cures him of this of this lead poisoning. More on that later. But um, so Monel is now back in action and you know Superman entrusts the care of Metropolis um, to him. Uh, and he and he goes to New Krypton. I will say, man, like I guess A, let me ask you, does that decision track? And B do you wish that there had been a, a more of like a farewell to Earth? Because we just, I just did an episode on the new Krypton arc from Lois and Clark. And that, one of my favorite scenes is like when he's in the in the Daily Planet bullpen and he's making this, he's doing this press conference and he's talking to the people, the people of Earth. Like you have to be your own heroes now and, and yeah. uh, saying this grand farewell. And I felt like that was a missed opportunity here. It's like you don't get to see any of that. I'm, I'm surprised that he didn't try to like, hide Monel as Superman or something. Um and having Monel here save Metropolis it it you asked does it track? I don't feel that it does. Because he's just now out of the Phantom Zone. He's not acquainted with the culture. He's not like Monel's is very interesting character in the sense that he's not Kryptonian. He doesn't have all Superman's powers. And Superman is just tr entrusting him to do this. We don't even know what's going to what's going on with him. He doesn't really know what's going on with himself, and he wants him to be, you know, the protector. And I, I feel that is a missed opportunity where Clark, Superman doesn't give any kind of farewell to Earth speech. Like, you know, I'm going because I need to go with my people. I need to learn. I need to understand. Something to try to reassure the people of Earth that he's still Superman. I don't know. So something, but something, you know, and I, I'm surprised there's not been in the storyline of like Earth people really like pissed off at Superman for leaving, you know? Um, and they, but I got a question that I'm, I'm sitting here thinking as I'm scrolling through and I see some of the books coming up. At this point, where's Connor? At this point in time, if I'm not mistaken, he's he's been brought back to life because we've had Final Crisis, right? So he's back amongst the living, I believe. Because I'm, I'm looking at just the world against Superman, just scrolling through the covers, and he's on a cover. And then the last stand of New Krypton, he's on a cover. So I was just sitting here thinking, like, unless he comes back in this story or something, and we will, you know, go through that. 
So that was kind of my thing of thinking, like, where's he at? Um, but the Monel thing just, I don't know, it didn't really track for me. It just felt like it was a reason to bring this character into it to have a somebody on Earth. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye out for Connor. I again, I need to double check. Oh, you know what? Because Final Crisis Legion of Three World was August two thousand eight to September two thousand nine. No, is that right? That doesn't make any sense unless it was vastly delayed. No, I don't think that's right. Uh, but or maybe it is. I don't know. In any event. Due to the timing of this, maybe at the start of the storyline, Connor wasn't back, and then he kind of comes back during the course of it. I'm not sure. I would need to double check the timing. But what I would say is, I think they were, I think they were leading us to believe when Nightwing and Flamebird are first introduced. I think the intention there was to maybe think, make you think that maybe it was Connor, just kind of due to his youth, the kind of little bit of the attitude, and it, we we know that we we come to learn that this Nightwing has uh, tactile telekinesis, right, and what we find out, right, it, it's Chris Ken, a.k.a. Lorzad, and his powers are different because of being this Phantom Zone-born person. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that maybe at the outset there was a little bit of a tease of, like, trying to make people think that it was Connor. I, and again, I don't know exactly if Connor was back yet and if he was back where he was, but I think maybe that was a little bit of the intention before the the Chris Kent reveal. Maybe. Maybe. But in any event, so... Again, Clark decides to leave Earth and go to New Krypton, and and we'll circle back to that because I think that that's kind of kind of the big climax we can we can end on because I think he has some interesting uh, adventures while he's there. Um, and on Earth, again, in the Superman title, we follow Monel. He works with the science police under the direction of uh, the Guardian, Jim Harper. There's a lot of business there that James Robinson does, um, particularly in a, in a couple of specials where Jimmy Olsen is tracking down Codename Assassin, and that leads him to Jim Harper. And essentially, what you find out, long story short, is that. Uh, there have been multiple Guardian clones over the years, uh, but who, the one who Jimmy finds is kind of like the 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 original, the one true clone who I guess we initially met uh, back in the early Triangle era. But that there have been others along the way that we didn't know about. Um, I don't I don't know how interesting you, or not you found that. I that it was okay. No, <laughs> like I like not not hating, but when it came to the Superman title of this, which was taken over by Monel. I really was least interested in it. That was the one part of the story. Like I would fly through reading the other books. I get to that one. and I'm just kind of like, okay, like it just, it, it felt so much more of an outlier and I wasn't invested in the character because in a way it wasn't a character that I even knew. Um, because you know, he is like just now out of the phantom zone. We had no development. We've had really no development of him other than his reappearance in the last sun arc. And then the fact that he, you know, comes in contact with Martha and he takes on the name of Jonathan Kent, Clark's cousin from England. Yeah. A lot of Kent cousins. I mean, <laughs> it's a farm town. But yeah, and, uh, that just bugged you. me. Wait, why couldn't it have been Joe? Like Joe Kent, Joseph Kent, Joshua Kent. I would buy any of that. Okay. But just back to the, like, no, man. Like, let the name be the name of the father of Superman. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. I mean, he, this is Jonathan Kent and he works with the science police under the direction of guardian. He protects Metropolis as Monel. Then his powers start to short out. And essentially what you learn, let me see if I can remember the science of this, but essentially like his powers and the formula that saved him from the radiation poisoning are, or the, you know, the lead poisoning are uh, sort of 
counteracting each other, right? Where I think his powers are trying to expunge the formula, but that's what's keeping him alive. And then the formula is fighting back and causing his powers to short out, something to that effect where he's losing mm-hmm. his powers and he only has so much longer to live. And so it's like this poor guy in the Phantom Zone, out of the Phantom Zone, this guy's always dying. Like that's yes. just his thing. That's his tragic history. Like, Yeah. And so we follow him and he goes on this journey around the world and he meets all these other superheroes and that issue is interesting. Uh, And then meanwhile, you have uh, Atlas who has stuck around, you know, he's this, again, this mythological being who was brought to the present by Sam Lane, you know, working in the shadows. Uh, Again, this is before New Krypton. He had a big blowout battle with Superman in the streets of Metropolis. Ultimately, Superman got a magic power up from Zachary Zatara and that allowed him to, uh, you know, to, to, to defeat Atlas. But Atlas has stuck around and was given a new identity by the government. And he infiltrates Ironworks, not Steelworks yet, but Ironworks, the facility set up by John Henry Irons. Uh, John Henry Irons, like surprisingly trusting, like he meets this guy off off panel. We don't even see it at uh, Asa Clubs. Like Bibbo introduces John Henry to Atlas, who's going by the name Tom. And like he gives Tom like this all access pass to Ironworks, <laughs> like explains the whole setup to him. And then, of course, Tom reveals himself as Atlas and and attacks. And that's kind of the last that we see of, of, of them in this part of the story. But I don't know. I, I'm mildly curious to see where it goes. I always love to see John Henry Irons, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like going back to this idea of being a little naive, it's like, what are you doing, buddy? Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at the, I was trying to find the part of that John Henry story with Atlas here. Um, but I don't, you just cured him from poison. You don't know if it's going to last. You have no idea what's really going on. And to me, I'm just, if this had been a Monelli miniseries or something to this, like on the side, it might be more interesting, like a six issue miniseries. But to be part of this, it feels like it doesn't really belong. And it makes more sense for Nightwing and Flamebird to be kind of operating in the absence of Superman. That's a more interesting story. Yeah. So they're there and they are, uh, they're tracking down this. I thought, I thought this was, I thought this was a cool idea that Zod had sent a handful of sleeper agents, uh, to earth, uh, long before. Right. And they had set up their own identities and, and then they would be activated and all that. And Nightwing and Flamebird. Uh, have discovered this plot and they're trying to take them out. Like one of them is this Australian, you know, CEO of of a, you know, uh, communications company, right? And they take him out and then there's like a Bonnie and Clyde-esque duo. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I thought that was interesting. And and of course they're being hunted by Ursa and uh, have, you know, some brutal battles, uh, but, but, you know, between them. And at one point, uh, Flamebird in particular gets injured and and Chris Kent takes her to Lois's apartment um, and he calls Lois mom uh, and they have their reunion. Um, yeah, you know, that part, I guess, yeah, I guess I found that more interesting than, than the Monel business. I think the, with all of this, like I liked the, the first chapter of the saga because much like the, the original triangle era, the books were really all working together and they flowed, you know, in, in, into each other and were telling a continuous story with some individual threads, but they were telling one ongoing story. By the time you get to world without Superman, they really do diverge to the point where in a few instances, I just, I just read the next issue of that title because I was like, I don't really necessarily need to read this, um, you know, in the triangle number order. No, it, it, it kind of lost its rhythm. 
Yes. Because um, there was a couple of times, I think it was with the Supergirl book, if I'm not mistaken, where somehow the events just didn't quite 100 line up with where she was and what she was doing. I mean, in the end, it all did. But like where she appeared in like the world of New Krypton, um, which it just it just, yeah, it didn't line up. And it's so interesting because technically the world of New Krypton is only what? Five issues. Yeah. Yeah, of what we, you, what, what, we, what we read for, for this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's funny. At its best, because it's not that long ago that I finally read the weekly series 52. At its best, it kind of felt like that. And I was back in that mode, which was really cool. Uh, but, yeah, I think when they, I think the other thing, too, when they diverge and, you know, focusing on mono and focusing even on Nightwing and Flamebird, because they're more removed from the new Krypton of it all. It's like, yes, you get to see what's going on on earth in Clark's absence. And there's value to that. But I think, I, I think it's just that I found the new Krypton piece of all of it. So captivating that I wanted yeah. more of that. And I'm only getting a quarter of that in these books. Whenever we go to, you know, we actually go to the world of new Krypton title. Uh, but I think that's why Supergirl worked for me because I felt like it really tied back to what was going on with new Krypton with her on a mission from her mother and having to bounce between. Yes. Um, and then encountering the superwoman stuff. Hey, can we also go back though, just for a second to, to Chris Kent, AKA Lorzad, where, what is it with taking Lois and Clark's child or surrogate child and artificially aging them up? What right? is that? Right. It's like, it's like no one can be a kid. It's like, oh, we need, we need, we have a story now. We need you to be older. Uh, magic, magic, you're a teenager. Yeah, it's like Chris Kent, because of being born in the Phantom Zone, right? His physiology is different and he periodically has these like spasms where he has these growth spurts. Um, and we see him go through a couple of them. So he's been aged up, but. You know, Lois makes a remark about how, oh, your your mind is not a six-year-old's mind anymore. Like the idea that I guess what he's, his experiences have aged him. I think that was kind of the spirit of it. And I feel like they threw that in there because he's partnered with Flamebird, this adult mm -hmm. woman. And there's clearly yep. some sort of connection there. Mm -hmm. But it's like, yo, this is a child. Yep. Maybe in the body of a, of a late teen, early 20-something. I don't know. But it was just odd. And again, I'm saying to myself, I... I mean, that, that, that part of it is, is weird, but the aging up of him, I guess I get to an extent, but then it's, it bugs me even more. I don't mean to always harp on this, but it bugs me even more that they did that to John Ken. It's like, we already did this. I will say with the Chris Kent, it makes a little bit more sense when you're dealing with the fact of like the whole phantom zone and what he's been through time, you know, dilation with the phantom zone, natural birth, corporeal, non-corporeal. Okay. I'll go with that. But yeah, the line about you don't have the mind of a of a of a boy. That was just weird. Like just the way she said it, the way they framed it. Because I get what they're trying to say is like his mind and everything grew as long. And I mean, can we? We didn't talk about it yet, but like the whole fact that Nan was secretly taking care of him. Yes. And I kind of would have liked some more of the story about what they did to Nan. Like we like one panel picture side view of non before basically the lobotomy. Yeah. I mean, we get this backstory that he was this brilliant scientific mind and he was Jor-El's mentor, 
right? But when Jor-El started spouting his his doomsday prophecies, they the the council or their agents lobotomized Nan and, and turned him into this you know lumbering brute uh, that you know we know him from you know from the movies as and the way he's initially depicted in in Last Son. So yeah, that adds a whole element of of tragedy here. Well, kind of on that note, while we're talking Nan, and that brings us back to Zod. You know, let's talk about this world of New Krypton because I thought it's so interesting. So, so Clark goes to live there, and there's this like kind of chilling moment I felt between him and Alora, where she's like, "Oh, good, like we can put this business about those murdered Earthmen behind us," and he's like, "Sure." Like, I, you know, his agenda is still to bring those people to justice, but her her belief that like, "Oh, this matter is settled," is you know, uh, again, I'm sure teeing up <laughs> conflict to come, but. He explores, he's given a tour guide, and he's, he's shown this world of, of New Krypton and the different guilds, all that stuff that we already talked about. And he's asked to pick a guild, and he isn't able to arrive at a, at a decision, and so she places him in the military guild, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we see him in his gray, you know, in his gray uniform, and he's given a, a squad to command. And you get, over the next four issues, these, I don't want to call them like morality plays, but in each issue, again, he shows them the way. Um, so, for example, uh, I think it might be an issue, too. There are those thought beasts that are running wild, yes. right, and rampaging. Uh, and his squad is sent to, to quote-unquote, take care of them. And the other soldiers, right, are prepared to just kill these beasts. And I think there's even a line of, like, like what to work on them. Um, but, but Clark, the farmer, right, has this whole plan to dig these trenches and herd them like cattle. Right. And there's even a line going back to that class, that class divide where they're like, oh, that's like work for the labor guild. And he's like, well, there's no shame in that. And he shows them the way to do it. And Zod is impressed by this. Um, And that's just the first example. I mean, it continues the that hostage situation where members of the labor guild take Alora and others hostage and they demand a seat. Um, You know, you have one of, uh, you know, Zod's other soldiers, Gore, who's, again, ready to to um, to execute other members of the labor guild. Right. To get the. Um, to get the others to stand down. And and Clark uh, uses one of these red sun weapons on himself, right, to depower himself, to go in and de-escalate the situation. And again, Zod seems pleased, right, with what with what Clark is. I mean, what, what was your reaction to kind of seeing this, I think, somewhat surprising dynamic evolve between the two of them? You know... I, would, I think I would have a different take had we not just redid Krypton season two. <laughs> um, because you and I had a conversation about how Zod, let's just look at Zod is, you know, a friend of Jarrell's, but then seeing, you know, if we look at Seg from the series being this more leader, militaristic type person and not as much of a scientist, how Kal-El is, has this type of mind. So Zod seeing more of someone he respects in a style that he respects in Cal than he would have seen in just a scientist much like Jarrell. And I think also he sees a little bit of himself because we Zod has a rebellious streak in himself and Cal has a rebellious streak in himself. Um, so I, I think it is interesting and I kind I wish we would have played more with it and it went a little bit longer of Cal with Zod. And I mean, we do have a really interesting payoff here in an issue or two. So with the trial for treason, you mean? Yes. Yeah. You want to go for it? <coughs> well, um, you know, we have this, um, 
Hmm. I don't know if you want to mention the Green Lantern showing up yet or not. Or yeah, I mean, so right before the Green Lantern show up, uh, the, the, that Commander Gore, uh, the one who who you know wanted to resort to more lethal <laughs> means with the hostage situation, uh, challenges <laughs> Kal El to a duel, not unlike what we saw. Uh, you know, the trial by combat on the Krypton show and, uh, and Clark whoops his ass. Like, it's great. You know, initially Gore gets a, gets a few licks in and, and Clark's like, I, I haven't even gotten started yet and shows him what's what. And, you know, that was an interesting dynamic here too, where, you know, one you know, critical advantage that Clark has is he's lived with these powers for most of his life, right? So he can wield them in a way that most of these Kandorians who are just discovering them cannot, it's so funny though, because every time on on New Krypton when he's teaching his squad how to use their powers, I'm like, "Oh, you dummy! Don't give away all your secrets. They're going to use this <laughs> against you." I haven't read the second half, but I'm sure that's where it's going. But uh, but it was cool to see that the turn in that battle, and it's like right after he you know beats the crap out of Gore, that uh, a number of the Green Lanterns show up, and that had been set up in a earlier in that issue, right? Where and this made sense too. It's like there's a new planet. <laughs> in Sector 2814, populated by 100,000 Kryptonians. So the idea that they would send a party out to gather some information, totally tracked. I like that a lot. Yeah. And because they talk about not representing or not recognizing Oa. Oa has no power here. Um, but what happens is, so <clears throat> you have the Labor Guild basically who are trying to basically make a name for themselves and they want their own seat that like we talked about. And you have Zod give an order to have someone killed. Yeah. There were, I think there were, there were, they're criminal escapees or something like that. Yeah. I'm trying, I was trying to find the name. That's what I'm looking at here. But basically Clark tells the Lieutenant don't, stop that order we can do this another way and at the end of it um where i'm trying to find the exact quote you we we continue to surprise one another it says zod says i did give my word that vol tie wouldn't be harmed clark's like yes you did i have to admit that i didn't expect you to keep it we can we continue to surprise one another it seems Though I'm afraid it'll be the last time. You are both under arrest and charged with treason. So that's how issue four ends. And then basically what happens in the next part is Clark basically gets the lieutenant off by saying she was just following his orders. You know, we have the classic kind of tribunal that we've seen in Superman the movie. Clark's wearing the robes of a criminal that we saw Zod when he escaped the Phantom Zone the first time. Um, and we get a little bit more about the... Where's the exact phrasing? The, basically the, the religious guild and how mysterious they are to have their ways. But because of the holiday that has fallen... Yeah, the Nova cycle. The, right? Yes, they can grant, um, I'm trying to find the exact, the religious guild. Anyways, it's basically a play out that Cal waited till this time so that he could be granted amnesty because of the holiday and be forgiven and not be tried for treason. 
But the thing yeah. I thought, yeah, no. And I think what like, really struck me about this was, you know, Clark really holds his ground, right? He's a man of principles. He's like, I don't deny that I did this. I did it because this criminal wasn't posing any threat. I didn't do any harm by, you know, by belaying that order, right? Um, so he holds his ground. He makes sure that the, you know, his subordinate who was also on trial, that, you know, she was, uh, you know, they let her go. Um, but then, yeah, Zod is ultimately the one who, you know, who, you know, makes this plea for Kal-El to be uh, granted amnesty. And I think what what really comes across here is that Zod sees sees what a man of principles Clark is, that he believes in something, that he's about something. Um, and as he says explicitly to Clark, he's like, I knew that you would die for Earth. You would give your life for the humans. But now I see, because Clark was willing to accept whatever punishment they were going to meet out and that seemingly he would have been executed. And he's like, now I see they would also give your life for Krypton. Right. And so again, I mean, it really, and maybe I'll feel differently as I get into the second half of this, but it doesn't, I don't, my reading of this, at least so far is not that Zod is, is playing him. And he even says to Clark, I see you, I know my force is better for having you in it. Um, and I, I do take him at his word with that. It seems to be uh, genuine. So Again, this, I, I, in my notes, I put down, you know, peace question mark. It's like, I, you yeah. know, maybe, maybe a friendship would be too far a word, but, but some measure of peace or understanding, maybe that's a better word between the two of them. Right. Um, see, seems to be growing here. And I like the way it's, it's developed through each of these little, um, you know, vignettes of Clark's time on new Krypton that we're getting here where, you know, he's staying true to the person he is and, uh, and Zod is responding positively to that. And I, what I like about that is Zod is not, you know, Zod's not like a maniac. He's not I- irrational. It's not like, oh, he just wants, uh, you know, violence or power for their own sake. It's always with the aim of of protecting Krypton and its people. And so the idea that he's open to another way of doing that when he sees that it works and it, it, it you know, results in, uh, you know, less of a loss of life, whatever the case may be. So it, again, it really it really tracked a lot for me. And sadly, you know, right at probably the pinnacle of their <laughs> their working relationship together uh, and kind of what brings us to the end of this leg of the reading, uh, there is an assassination attempt made on Zod's life where, he, where he's shot. And that's the end of, of this segment of the story, uh, at least in the pages of World of New Krypton. And then when we pick up next time, we'll be in the codename uh, Patriot uh, yeah. storyline. So, uh, you know, I'll be curious to see where that goes. But yeah, I really... I really enjoyed how all of this came together. And again, once we got into the world without Superman, the Monel business, the Nightwing and Flamebird business, a little less captivating, but uh, again, the Supergirl series remained a highlight and seeing Clark on new Krypton, I, I think it was just, uh, again, a really, a really fascinating look at the life there and this contrast between his values and theirs. So I, I really dug it a lot. Is there anything we haven't talked about you know, big or small, uh, that you wanted to before we wrap it up. I was just going to say, like the the ceremony is actually the because they talk about. And I thought this was they use the term terraforming, but technically it wouldn't be terraforming because terraforming is Earth, <laughs> right? Right. Like, um, but basically the planet is growing, but they're still in the city, and they officially remove the dome of the city as they're expanding on the planet more trying to grow out the planet but the the member of the labor guild that has been kind of on clark's side his friend that kind of gave him the idea that there was going to be an uprising you find out was a zod plant 
and they even give Clark a way out to escape his prison. Um, he could escape, and his, and he doesn't take it. He doesn't take it. He just lays there and chills, and um, and that's where Zod, I think, really, like you said, he comes to respect him more. And I mean, there's all kinds of little subplots and little things going along. When you dig more into like the Nightwing and Flamebird, how she was supposed to be part of the religious guild, but then she went there and then rejected it because of how lonely it is. It's putting part of the voice of Rao and the visions. And that's how she, you know, got connected to Chris. Yeah. Um, no, but, for sure. I mean, I know we haven't hit like every single beat of this, but you know, we're talking, I don't know what, whatever this was of, of 40 issue, you know, a chunk of reading here. I, I, I do think, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think we really did hit the most salient aspects and certainly in terms of the themes and the main character dynamics. Uh, and of course, really the Superman of it all. I, I think we've really hit on a lot here. Uh, I, again, I had such a great time with this. I'm really excited to dive into the second half, uh, which we'll cover next week on uh, our last episode of 2023. Uh, so it's, it's been a great year and we're going to you know finish out strong with the second half of New Krypton. Uh, Tyler, really, thank you again so much. Of course, I encourage everyone to check out the Krypton Report podcast on all major podcast platforms and uh, social media channels as well. Uh, anything in particular you want to share with people or anywhere in particular you want to direct them to? No, I mean, just check us out on... I'm always active on Twitter. I still call it Twitter. always will. I don't like X. Um, but yeah, find us there. Communicate. Um, we're always throwing out questions for people to answer. Join us part of the chat. Awesome. I encourage everyone to do that. Uh, and, and audience, please, I would love to hear your take on New Krypton. Uh, whether you read it back in the day, you read it more recently, maybe if, if you haven't read it, but now you're going to as a result of hearing our conversation, I, I would really love to, uh, to hear what you think about New Krypton. And hopefully I haven't oversold it too much. And uh, hopefully, hopefully after I read the second half, I don't come back and I'm like, oh man, the storyline was terrible. Because <laughs> so far, I'm, I'm, I'm excited it. to hear your take because I'm, I'm going to read it. I'm going to finish reading it so that when you do talk about it, I'm part of the conversation instead of just listening. Now, right on. I, I love that. I, the last thing I'll say is just that what, what I think is so cool about this is it's one thing to bring back Candor, right? The true version of Candor. I think it would have been easy to bring it back and have it sit on a shelf in the fortress and have it be this thing that, oh, I have to try to enlarge it, right? But we've had that dynamic. We saw that play out over decades. So to actually give us the payoff to this and the most dramatic aspect of this story, what happens when the city is enlarged. And, you know, we read Superman 338, I think was the, it was the issue from pre-crisis bronze age when the city was enlarged and, you know, the city itself disintegrated, but the people were enlarged and they had chosen a planet under a red sun that was in a different dimension. So they kind of just pieced out after that. Um, and that's, that's fine. Right. <laughs> but I think what's, what's interesting here is I think this shows, you know, this kind of forces the issue. It's like, well, no, if they're here, right. And they're, they're first on earth and then, uh, you know, in, in orbit across from earth, it's like, what happens? Right. Uh, and so I love that this got explored and it, that it was explored for such a substantial period of time. Uh, so this has been a blast. I look forward to next time audience. Thank you. As always, I always appreciate you tuning in. Uh, make sure you come back next week. And of course, as always, it's about what you do. It's about action. Hop in the Supermobile and join us for the spinoff podcast Beyond Metropolis, available exclusively for members of my Patreon community. It's a monthly tour across the DC universe with the signature Digging for Kryptonite style applied to your other DC favorites. Additional Patreon rewards include advanced listens, sponsorships, and more. 
We offer regular monthly memberships, discounted annual plans, free trials, and a la carte purchases. Visit patreon.com slash anthonydesiato or click the link in the show notes for more. Thank you all. Be sure to check out our sister podcast series, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, an episode-by-episode breakdown of the classic George Reeves television show, available wherever you get podcasts. Please join us on social media, become a patron, and subscribe, rate, and review today. Links are in the show notes. Thank you all.